You're listening to the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiasts, presented by me, Daniel Axerhouse. Listen whilst folding washing, doing your day-to-day commute, or even whilst you're faffing around trying to change your exhaust. Whatever you're doing, I promise to make your day a little less boring, with some fun and interesting motor talk. Anyway, engage launch control, it's time for the Piston Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Piston Podcast, recorded today on the 24th of July, 2020. This week we've got another guest, we've got a massive spree of guests at the moment. Keep your emails coming in via the Piston Podcast at gmail.com, or you can message me on Twitter or Instagram at DanielCarzo5. Anyway, this week I'm joined by guest Charlie Johnson. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello guys, um, I'm probably renowned more on Twitter for uh, my car buying habits or anything, of buying stuff that's undesirable, a little bit strange and a bit quirky. Yeah. Um, and yeah. That sounds good. Now, um, you used to work in the motor trade, didn't you? That's right. I uh, indeed, yes. I stint for three years in the trade, yes. Yes. Now, whereabouts, what did you do in the motor trade? Like, where did you work? Uh, well, I won't name all, really. Um, various places, really. Everything from doing, like, customer service roles to operations um, and deal with admin as well, really. So, quite, quite a broad spectrum, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, a couple of my main dealers, and another one was um, a used car dealer as well. So yeah, yeah. Do you have a Do you have a most fond memory of working in the motor trade, or was it all? Um, it's it's mixed, really. Yeah. (laughs) Up and down, really. But um, probably the most enjoyable one recently was um, driving a Renault Clio V6 Mark II. Right. Okay. So yes, drive that down from um, Tunbridge down to I think it's Sussex. Yeah. So that's a pretty epic drive. That does sound good. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any funny moments? Um, well, with okay, well, most days are quite funny, to be fair, because obviously you've got all the, the, um, the cliches and who's yeah. taking the mission and stuff. So, you know, no, no one day is the same, really. Yeah, yeah. So how, how did you move away from working in the motor trade? What do you do now? Anything correlated? Or? Um, well, at the moment, I'm just trying to get myself back into work, really, because I've asked for a change. So I'm doing um, I'm studying marketing at the moment. Yeah. I'm um, hoping to set myself a little sideline in due course, really, once things get themselves back on track, really. Yeah, that sounds good. Now, aside um, from your past in the motor trade at the moment, and not at the moment because of coronavirus and stuff like that, but you organise Alfa Romeo meets. Uh, yes, I was doing that when I was back in Kent, um, which I'm planning yeah. to do again once I got myself back together. Um, but I used to yeah, do them once a month. And if one was, yeah. On my end, it, I did the, like, the Kent end. Then yeah. there was Jason who did the um, Essex side. So we just yeah. take it turn to do alternate weeks. So that could yeah. fun. How long have you been doing that then? Uh, probably on and off for about six months. It might be longer than that, actually, to be fair. But it's just something that I always like. I always like help you out occasionally with the meets when people are busy. And I'll just like drop in and give them a hand and organise one. Yeah, of course. That sounds really good, actually. I like Alfa Romeo. I think... So obviously, there's the thing that goes around saying you can't be a true petrol head if you haven't owned an Alfa Romeo, and yeah, that could be true. But yeah, they're very good. I, th- I think some people don't like them because some of them have reliability issues. But sometimes I think that can be stereotyping a bit. Um, now, some of them have their problems, but they're actually I like them. I think they're desirable cars, Alfa Romeos. I mean, I'll say there was the Asia says really. There are some that have the niggles anyway. But I mean, I've had some that had headaches, others that don't. But I mean, it swings and roundabouts, really. You know, it's as broad as long. Yeah, yeah. In that respect. Do you have a favourite Alfa Romeo of interest? Uh, well, the one that I haven't brought yet, which is on my list at some point to get, is the Alfa Romeo GTV V6. 
Oh, yes, I do like that. So that's yeah. on my list to get at some stage. Um, but I've had a couple of GTB with the twin sparks, and they're still good fun anyway. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. miss the V6. You still get, you know, a car that's, you know, great fun to drive, superb handling, you know. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. How about the more modern Alphas? What do you think of them? Uh, I'm a fan of like, the Julia, but I'm not, yes. I'm not swinging towards the Stelvio myself, really. Yeah, well, that's I mean, good it's not, because it's not my bag, really. <laughs> that's good because I don't know if you've uh, listened to any of these podcasts, or listeners will know um, that each week, even when I have a guest, um, I do a little review of a car when we uh, run through specs of a car and just discuss a bit about it. So I've chosen this week the Julia Quadrifoglio, uh, just by chance. So that is good. Um, so what I'm going to do now is just talk um, about some of the uh, specs and stuff like that and power nonsense uh, and then you can just put in whenever you want when you've got something to say and then we can discuss a bit about it um about the car and what we think of it um after does that sound good that's good yeah yeah so um the you can get a julia quadrifolio starting at sixty five thousand pounds now do you do you think that's a lot of money for the car it is or do you think it's worth it um i would say it's worth it but i don't reach really myself up to say it's like the newest car going out anymore really so i used to be in the loop with the New stuff and the old stuff, but for the price it is, if you don't mind paying that little bit more, I would say it's probably worth the money. I mean, yeah, I have yeah. no time to have an issue with them, but as long as you're within the warranty, it probably makes you no, know, yeah, exactly. Why did you even have one, really? I mean, you only live once, after yeah, yeah. Would you um, consider a BMW or a Mercedes or something like that aside from it, or do you reckon you'd be keen to go for an Alpha? I will probably still stay Italian. You yeah. have the choice on the table, I reckon. That's good, yeah. Italian cars, it's just something about them, isn't there? They've got a charm. Um, like, we've got a Fiat Panda 100 HP, and every now and then you get a little niggle with the power steering or something, but other than that, it's a fantastic car. You just can't help but like it, really. It's got it's got a heart. Mm. Um, now, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to uh, an event that's going on in October, I think, hopefully, um, if it all goes well, called Auto Italia. And it's uh, hosted at Brooklands down south. Um, and it's just full of Italian cars. And I've never been before because we've never had an Italian car until the start of this year. So it'd be quite nice to go to because they've got a mixture of everything, everything Italian. I mean, I used to go to Italia, like, well, not year in, year out, but at least do like, most of the years when I was back in Kent myself. Yeah. So I used to take Kent down my um, GTBs and 1.6 and stuff. I mean, it's well worth going. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen pictures and videos and it's just like, oh, heaven. Um, anyway, the Julia Quadrifoglio comes with a 2.9-litre V6 engine, which produces 510 horsepower, which is a lot. It's rear-wheel drive, which means you can do your donuts and stuff like that. comes with an eight-speed automatic gearbox with flappy paddles, semi-automatic. Um, torque, 600 newton meters. MPG, it's a bit irrelevant for the car it is, but 27 MPG, which is uh, it's not the most impressive figure, but... It's a. It's got other impressive figures that lower the MPG, so we'll forgive it. Um, you can Al- Alpha do actually say you can do 357 miles in a tank. Now I don't know if that's nonsense or not, but it's it's all right, really. It's nothing impressive, but it's a sort of it's a sporty car, so you can't expect much really at the end of the day. That, that sounds pretty good to me, though. I mean, ground winds like the V6s and. Although it was 995 at the moment, 317 will be fine if you manage it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing, yeah. 0-16, 3.8 seconds. I think that's crazy in the car it is. Now, I know there's other cars that do it as well, but I still think it's crazy that a saloon like that can get to 60 so quickly. It's amazing, really. But again, again the car it is, I mean, you've got everything you need, you know, you've got the performance, you've got the handling. 
And yeah. I mean, again, yeah. North State City is probably not that relevant day to day, but it's still something if you want to you know, put your foot down, you, have, you certainly can. Exactly, yeah. It's got everything there you'll need. Top speed, 191 miles per hour, which again is a lot for the car it is. That just staggers me. Uh, end cut rating of five stars. So it is safe, actually. That surprised me when I was trying to search up for that. Five stars. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? It is impressive. That's very good. Uh, four seats, four doors. So it's practical. So if, if, say, if, like, for example, you want and you want something Italian, you want something fun, but you've got responsibilities or you've got family or something like that, you need space. Maybe this is the perfect car, really, because it's fantastic. From reviews I've seen on Top Gear, the Grand Tour, whatever, they seem so impressed with it. And it, it just, it's such a nice car. I mean, again, when it's out, I mean, it sounds like looking for something Italian, it's certainly like a no-brainer choice, really. I know, I know, I know. You're sort of paying for the badge as well, I think. Um, that's the thing. With the BMW and Mercedes, I think you'd probably get a bit more reliability. But with the Alpha, I think you just get a bit more charm, something a bit more special. You'd feel like you're in something quite good. Um, and that's... Yeah, it's it's a great car. Pros and cons. Pros, it looks fantastic. They did a fantastic job with the styling. As with most Alphas, to be honest, I think they look great. Um, it's less common than most of its rivals, so it, it has a bit of rarity to it. And, of course, it's an Alpha, so that says a lot about the car itself, doesn't it, really? I mean, it does. But in this day and age, I think Alpha still was at that stage was trying to recover those days when people are still going, oh, it's an Alpha, it's unreliable, and that sort of yeah. thing. You know, they're still trying to get past that point in the moment. I know, I know. It's, it's difficult, but yeah, it can be done because they have turned around massively in the in the in the past few years. Um, I've, I'm sure you've seen some of the old um, Top Gear challenges where they've had old alphas and they've literally just blown up, and it, it is hilarious. But it does put people off the cars, which is a shame because I think they're actually nice. I, I wouldn't mind an alpha. Um, they're lovely cars. Cons for the Julia Quadrifoglio, the price is quite expensive. But again, if you can afford it, then go ahead because it's a great car. Um, it's uh, It's got quite high emissions. Now, emissions of 235 grams per kilometre, which is quite a lot, to be fair. It's not what you call eco-friendly, to be honest. But if you want an eco-friendly car, then you get a different car, really. So you, you can't really complain. Um, and... I've put here in question marks reliability because I've seen some things on Twitter. I'm sure you have as well. People with their, these Julia's and they get some little niggles with it every now and then. And I think that can put you off a car quite a bit. Um, it's hard to know because I mean, the rule is uh, with like car buying as well. Though, the fact that you always try and get like, well, you should get like the newer example because I'll see all the launch editions have then got all the issues and sorted out mm. by the time they're onto the second phase. Whereas I tend to buy the early cars, so chance I fully get one entire brain that one with one that's still got the headaches, I suspect. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to give the Alfa Romeo Julia Quadrifoglio a rating of 4.5 out of 5. What are you going to give it? No, I think I'll go with that, yeah. 4.5. I think it's it doesn't get the 5, because I think there's some of the other rivals do a few things a bit better, but 4.5, I think that's pretty fair, really. Good car, really. Um, and again, if if you've got sixty five grand, then go ahead, really, because it's an alpha at the end of the day. So, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Now, um, you own a Saab nine five Aero. That's that's right, isn't it? Yes, yeah, indeed. Yes. What do you think of it? I'm sure you like it, but what do you think of it? What's your overall opinion? Um, it's pretty quick. Um, pretty capable of taking literally anything in it because it's got yes. a Mahuti boot in it. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, it's not quite as good as my twisties, but 
I'm kind of glad that I came across it, though, because it's quite a rare early example compared yeah. to the later ones that there's more of. Yeah. How long have you had it? It's coming... Oh, it's just every year now I've had it. Just every year. Wow. Um, and what's the whole Saab experience? I've never been in a Saab, so I wouldn't really know. But Saab's... Again, people have the doubt that, oh, because Saab isn't around anymore, they went bust and stuff like that. If something was to go wrong, which I don't know if it might, I can't really say... Um, where would you get the parts from and stuff like that? What's the uh, o- overall experience? I mean, from an ownership point of view, um, I tend to use specialists and always have. Um, I've not had any problem getting parts apart from the fuel tank on mine is rare as rocking horse. They're so hard to come by from. That's the only thing I've had problems with. But the thing is, I have got an earlier one, whereas one's a later one, tend, parts tend to be a little bit easier to get hold of. Yes. So it was my short go for that earlier one. So I kind of Myself with the problem, but I'm not really that worried about it really. No, no, no. Something rare on rather gone. Yeah, I'm always really impressed with Saabs. I think they, they again, they look great. Uh, you don't see many nowadays, but there's one down my road, and there's one, uh, one locally again. Uh, but they just look really nice. I think they look really sleek. I mean, it's a great way of like driving around without like shouting too much, you know. I mean, mine's pretty much stuck aside from the oh, was it? It's got a matching valve on it. I've got to what it is now. We've got a matching valve that's been done on that. But aside from that, the, en- the engine completely stock, suspension is stock, and everything else is. But I will have plans later on to modify it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, um, do you remember the Saab? I think it came out in the 90s. And it, because a lot of Saabs are inspired by aeroplanes, because obviously Saab used to make them. So this sort of went a bit wild. But do you remember that Saab that just didn't have a steering wheel? Oh, we talked about the one that was tested by... Yeah, Could well have been. Fine. I think so. I just remember seeing it, it online cross- somewhere. Possibly. Possibly, yeah. I think I read up about it. But it's just... It's it's one of them things. I think only Saab could have come up with it. It was, it was, it was a lever by uh, where the gear stick would have been. And it, you sort of controlled it by that. It's, it's hard to explain. But I can imagine sitting down in the driver's seat of a car, driving it with no steering wheel in front of you. It can be quite a strange experience. I'm not sure if I'd like that, but it's cool, at least. Um, what do you think of that? It's weird. Well, see, we come to accustomed to the steering wheel now, haven't we? I mean, with these like, electric cars and whatnot, we are kind of like gradually changing the way cars are. Yeah. We still feel need to have the focus, whereas obviously back then people thought, well, actually, maybe the steering wheel might not be the thing, you know. Maybe yes. it might catch on, you know, for as long as we think. Yeah. Well, I think that they're quite wrong with removing it because, well, I don't think I've ever been in a modern car that doesn't have a steering wheel, but oh well. Now, you're just talking about electric cars. Where do you stand with the whole electric car argument? I'm on the fence, really. I mean, yeah. I see the reason for it and see the way going forward for them. But I'm not enticed enough to buy one. Yeah. Really. Again, they just haven't got the infrastructure at the moment with the charging points and the range. But to be honest, it will get there. And yeah, they, they are massively improving. If you think in the last 10 years or so, they have improved. So you can only imagine what's going to happen in another 10 years' time. I mean, my concern comes with the... I mean, recently we've had the Honda E that's been launched. That was pretty Love impressive. It. Yes, yes. But... I mean, going forward, I mean, kind of buy the older cars. So by the time I end up owning one, they'll probably be like 15, 20 years old. Mm. When if there are any issues, they'll appear. And I'm thinking, going forward, with like Tesla, even the Honda E and the Polestar, yeah. they've got these little 
um, like iPad like dashes. Yes. How is that gonna like in terms of like wear and tear over time? Is that gonna still be functioning I then? I know. It's, is it gonna that's, work? That's what I think. That's what I think. I th- sometimes I think people, car makers that make electric cars are constantly trying to make them different, and I don't know if that's right. I think they should treat them as cars and. Like I'm, uh, Kia, Kia, Kia have done the right thing with their Soul, and um, yeah, the Soul. Uh, they've took a normal combustion engine powered car and just put the electric stuff in it, so it is just a car. Mm. And yeah, the screens and stuff like that, they will age massively, and I've got no doubt that will happen. So, used electric cars, it's it's going to be weird, and you're going to have the problem with the batteries wearing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting and. I support them, but I've got my doubts as well. Um, we just got to wait and see, really. But I see the appeal, and they have to happen. Um, a few years ago, I, di- I didn't get them at all, and I didn't like them. Um, I was one of them people that said, oh, petrol and diesel must stay. But now I'm sort of in the middle. I can just I can just see the point, and I like them. They're good, really. Do you think I, I, I see kind of this. I mean, I've done a few like hybrids and electric cars at work, and you miss the theatre of the noise? Yeah. So with like the V six, you have the theatre of that, the V eight, etc. With with electric car, all it is is the surge of power. Yeah. But there's nothing to go with it. I know. So it's quite surreal. Sometimes I think that could cause a few accidents. You put your foot down, there's no noise, and then immediately you're going this crazy speed. I think some people won't expect it, and that's the problem. Um, but you you've, you see these electric cars now that have got. N- car noises that come out of the uh, speakers and stuff like that and who knows i think that might make its way properly into the electric car market or whatever but yeah it's unusual i, I don't think i've been in an electric car but i want to change that this year because i want to sort of experience them um they're just interesting really i've got no doubt that they're not the future that's the thing i mean i think there is a case for them but it's as to how we go about making them incorporate themselves in. I mean, as you said already about the, te- about the charge structure, Tesla have got it covered already. Every other brand is still relying on a third party. Yeah. And those third parties that provide them need to make sure that they're always working. You know, you can't like have an electric car and like turn up and go, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to re-plan to go to the next one. You know, know. if you want to have the infrastructure, people don't buy it. I know, I know. That's the thing that, concentrating on the actual cars but they just need to think because there's a lot of um, petrol and diesel stations around and stuff like that and there needs to be as meant as much uh, ev charging points to sort of make people come into the electric car market a lot needs to change really um, they can't just sort of leave it like, i think i think the government aren't really doing as much as they probably should do um at the moment i know they've got other things on their mind but before coronavirus and stuff like that, I think they should be um, trying to get the infrastructure ready because it will have to happen soon. Soon we will have to switch. Uh, but I reckon it'll be a while. It'll be a long time until um, engine-powered cars will go. Mm. I I'd, I'd think it will be very much engines, engines, engines for the next few years. But then in the future, the long future, it'll start to turn into weekdays going to work and normal driving electric cars and then for the weekend going to car meets or going for a drive it will be then all of the classics and stuff like that so they will still be around that's what i reckon will happen i mean there are obviously a chance i mean you could go either way in terms of development but 
as, as you say, as long as you get like, the structure correct, everything should buy there, really. Yeah. But, I mean, the government subsidy, of, I think, should buy £1,000. Yeah. It doesn't make a significant difference in the majority of cars, really, because they're still, like, you're talking, like, three or four, well, four to five hundred pounds or more on a monthly payment, which is quite a lot, really. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in I know Germany and Holland are doing quite a lot for electric cars. They've got quite a lot of charging points dotted about. I think that's good, but we just need to try and get that across this way. Um, I don't really see any. I don't see many electric car ports at all, really. There's only about one locally to me. That's it. And even that's about six miles away. It's strange. But I can sort of understand that a lot of people would charge their cars at home. So maybe that's why there isn't as much. I mean, it could be that, but obviously, again, that's still something that the, I mean, if you're buying, especially like a new one or something, you still got to like factor that as a cost. And as far as know, I'm aware, that's still a separate cost. So yeah. you still got to buy, buy either A, the car, then you have the separate charging cost of, you know, getting your charge point at home. I know. You spent like 30 grand, for example, then you got to spend another X amount on top to make it work. Yeah. It's crazy, really. should be included. But what would happen to somebody who lives and parks their car on the road, maybe doesn't have a garage? How would they get a charging port their house? That's another thing. You can't lead a wire over the pavement. It just wouldn't work. It's weird, but I've got, <laughs> it'll, it will happen eventually and these problems will um, will be solved, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, we just got to wait and see, really. Now, um, what other cars have you owned in the past, like pre-Saab 95 and stuff like that? Pre-Saab, should, we get, should we get right to the back, right to the start? All right, then, let's go right to the start. <laughs> right to the start. So, we're talking roughly about <laughs> 10 years ago-ish. So, yeah. first car was a Rover Mini Sprite. Yes. Um, had that for a couple of years. Um, like all minis, it ended up rusting on the arches and on... Was it arches? No, it was on the sills and on the scuttle panel. Yeah. So, that eventually went... My mate of mine had a Rover 45 that I really liked. So, I thought, yeah, yeah I'll go and buy one. So, I brought one blind on eBay. <laughs> that ended up being a terrible, terrible car to buy, but I had a nice road trip anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, got that. Then, after having that, I then brought my first Alpha, which was the 156 2-litre JTS Luso. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was like a fairly local purchase from where I was at the time. Um, that's where it kind of developed really the whole Alpha thing, really, from that point. Yeah. So I had that one, I think, in a couple of years as well. Um, that then followed by me buying the green GTB that everyone knows about, which is Valentina. Mm. So I had that one for a couple of years. Um, that's one of my favourite GTBs I had to date. Um, then from there, I then brought a 146 because it was going cheaply and I thought, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was about, that was like 600 quid. That's quite a good car, but it had too many niggles. I just couldn't get along with it. So that ended up going soon after, yeah, but I yeah. had that as well as having a Peugeot 205 XS. Oh, right, yeah. So that was good fun to drive. I mean, it was actually like niggled with like leaks and stuff, but yeah. it got a bit carried away because I had three cars at one point, and I was thinking, well, actually, I need to cut myself back. I was only using GTB anyway half the time, yeah. and everything else would be new. So I was like, okay, I'll get rid of the 146, get rid of the um, 205, so it went. Yeah. Then I ended up needing a long-term daily that one where I'm interested where I run. No, because no, right, so I to do it when and then after that I sold the Valentina yeah. Then I brought an MGZT um through a friend's 
dealer that he knew. So that was a massive trip to go and get that. Yeah. Um, probably one of the most reliable cars I've ever had. That pre- I didn't stay around for that long, actually, too. I think it was like under a year. Um, then when I had that, I also had a um, another, another GTB that brought, which I left to where it was. It might have been GTB, then MGZT. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I brought another GTB anyway. That was in Kent. Um, so quite local. Because that car had been following me around. Because um, the car used to live in Whitstable, and I, and I was living in Whitstable. Yeah. So I kind of used to where it was. That was quite cool. Yeah, yeah. And after those two, we got this to where we are now because that is that Then we went on to we had another alpha. Then I brought a one six six after that, I think. That I've been after I've been after one six six for years. Yeah. That was owned by the the only car, but it turned out to be a terrible, terrible car that I shouldn't have brought. Oh right. So that was the money pit that lost me money and then that's going like within Hmm. Three or four months. It's such a terrible example. Then I had a short stint in higher cars while I was trying to find something else. Or yeah, yeah. Or, or do that. So I was like, why am I in these new cars? So <laughs> they eventually all went. And then I found, I was like, I need a stopgap before I buy some more Alphas. So I brought a Lexus IT on Genetics. That literally was pretty reliable. Just as a camber on that was that. Nothing really wrong with it. Everything worked. Which for me was quite unusual because I only like cars at work, so it only lasted like six months. Yeah. Which for most people are going, well, there's nothing wrong with keep it. I was like, but there's no character. Yeah. And nothing broken in the last couple of months or days, yeah. you know? What's wrong boring. with it? It's getting boring, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that went, I think, I was six months. Then I brought um, a friend of mine, um, well, a friend a friend of mine, but a friend of a friend had it at his house. Every one five six one point eight. 1.8 yeah. in Essex. Sat there and listened to sell it. You need a few things doing. I was like, well, I need another alpha. I'd rather buy one that I know is not known. Yeah. After my last experience. So I was like, okay. So this was a 1.8 rather than a 2 litre. Um, then spent a fair amount of money getting the mechanicals up to scratch. So the thermostat was sorted out because that wasn't working and camber was done all this out and the other. It had black wheels with it because the mate liked to have those. So they then went and I changed them from teledials instead to make it a little bit more discreet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I then toned it down a bit as well because it had alpha stickers all over the car. I was like, <laughs> don't mind the alpha thing, but we're not going overboard here. It's like making more straight. Yeah. So that will stick around about probably again another car that I was proud for a shortish time, which was about a year-ish or thereabouts, maybe shorter than that. Because um, then after having a bit more power as well. Mm. So after that one went, I then went on to the thing of the Saab then after that was it. Yeah, I think it's the Saab 93 because I've been interested in Saabs for quite a while, and I was like, "Well, let's see, let's try one out." So yeah. I found one that was two or three hour drive, 93 convertible. Um, ended up buying that. Had that for about again, I think about a yearish. Um, that had mm-hmm. quite a few niggles mechanically with it, but I sold out most of them. Um, and then when I sold it to the guy locally, it ended up playing up a little bit. I think a little bit guilty. <laughs> But I was thinking, I'd have spent quite a lot maintaining that car. Should I be feeling guilty? Oh, I'm not sure I still have to do really, but I mean, me and the guy still speak. Yeah. I mean, when I was down in Tunbridge Wells, he'd bump into him and he still loves it. So yeah. he didn't have that. I then went on to the 9.5 that I've got now. 
Um, yeah. I was still looking for another alpha because once you have alphas, you don't really stop looking at alphas. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, then another one by six, but that's kind of like the best engine to get without going to be six, which is more expensive. Mm. Had to be twin spot, not JTS though, because my JTS last time I had was a little bit on like um, oil and stuff. I was like, well, okay, let's just hopefully I'll find the right one. Yeah. So then behind, I found Valentina three in Bristol. Um, you may know Chris Pollitt, who runs not too grand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the car was like him. Um, he kindly looked around the car for me. Yeah. Which is absolutely, absolutely, you know, getting to do some for it and then up going back. Then suddenly realised a couple of weeks later, oh yeah, the thermostat doesn't work. Another car. I mean, all these apps have these thermostat problems. But when you drive back from Bristol, I was like, well, actually, the thermostat warmed up. Did, did a short run when I got it back to Kent. Thermostat does not work. Ah, so I spent like getting that sorted out with a friend as well. Yeah, so we did. Yeah, that. yeah now I'm just the. Yeah, that is that's a massive collection. <laughs> I think that it's is... roughly around ten to twelve cars, but I can't remember. I think it is all of them. I think. Yeah. What was your favourite? Yeah, in the middle. In the middle, I forgot one. Oh. <laughs> I think it, when I had the nine three, I had a Vauxhall Amiga as well. Mm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What was your favourite out of all of them? The what was your favourite? Probably the dark, the Vela Blue GTV. Mm. I'll say. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But I also missed the uh, 156 I just got rid of as well. We should have been but never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's been a pleasure to speak to you um, on the podcast. Um, thank you for coming on. Um, where can people find you on Twitter? It is at Tales of a Sarb. Tales of a Saab. So yeah, give um, Charlie a follow. Thank you for coming on and thank you uh, people at home for listening to the podcast. I'll be back next week. Um, maybe with another guest, maybe not. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiasts, presented by me, Daniel Axerhouse. Listen whilst folding washing, doing your day-to-day commute, or even whilst you're faffing around trying to change your exhaust. Whatever you're doing, I promise to make your day a little less boring, with some fun and interesting motor talk. Anyway, engage launch control, it's time for the Piston Podcast.